0: And today's sermon is called Ingredients of the Tabernacle. Ingredients of the Tabernacle. Father, we ask that you would just uh, simply teach us, pour life and love into us. We are tired and broken when we do things in our own strength, but we are full of life and joy and peace when we rest on you and rely upon you and have our hope fully on you. And so, Jesus, we pray that uh, you would help us to turn our eyes away from ourselves and onto your wonderful, glorious grace and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of surprising ingredients that you may not know about. I was reading some blackberry yogurt the other day, and one of the ingredients in my blackberry yogurt was carrot. And that is so dumb. I don't even understand why. Ben, you work in like food service stuff, right? There's some crazy ingredients, right? Yeah. I did some research, and I'm just going to spare you all all the weird things I found in your food. It was gross. We'll just say beavers. Gross. Anyway, ingredients can be, like, you can have some surprising ingredients in food. Also, you know, Dana does this essential oils thing, and, and as, we've been, like, as I smell all the stuff she's doing, she's brewing with her giant kettle and, and um, I, <laughs> I <laughs> that may or may not be true. <laughs> Anyways, there's this one called Intune, and I really love the smell of this tune. okay? But if anybody knows me, the the smell I hate worst in the entire world is patchouli. Sorry if you love patchouli, maybe you, it's your be, your deodorant or whatever, well, I don't, I, it's not I, it's not that I hate it; I more loathe it. Um, and but is, there's a story behind it because I didn't. I, I don't just make arbitrary decisions on things I hate. I'm very specific. I went to college, and we had these, we were in dorms, and there was bunk beds, and I had the bottom bunk bed, and the guy that was above me in my bunk bed bathed in patchouli oil. So all of my college experience, his patchouli wafted onto me all every day all day long patchouli so at the beginning i was like okay that's interesting but by the end i was like oh <laughs> patchouli so anyway she makes this she she has this oil called Intune and i like oh i love this oil it helps me focus when i'm studying and i'm and and she i she knows the story and so She was reading her phone one day, and she just burst out laughing. She's like, (laughs) and I was like, what's so funny? And she's like, do you know what the main ingredient in Intune is? And I'm like, no, what? And she's like, patchouli. And I was was so chagrined by that. And so now I like that. I'm I'm so confused on what to hate now. Where do I direct my hatred? Ugh. Keep it real, right? Okay. So if you wear virtually now I have to be like, I guess I like it. Okay. Well we've been diving into the tabernacle, and today we're gonna look at the ingredients of the tabernacle. And I don't know if you'll be surprised, but I know that you're gonna be blessed by what we're gonna see in these ingredients because uh, we've already learned that the tabernacle is a very clear and very detailed and multi layered image of Jesus. That's all that the tabernacle is. And, and we learned last week, there's 10 chapters given to describing all the glory of the tabernacle and all of its you know, functions and everything. Why would God spend so much time on this thing? When he only spent two chapters telling us how he made the entire world. So you guys remember that? And we learned that it's because... It represents his beloved son, and, he, and, and so it, it is going to be awesome for us to dig in and see all of Jesus' wonderful characteristics, all of his grace and the works that he does for us. This tabernacle is God's grace in tent form, in picture form, given to you and me. It's the practical way that we can engage with God. So without every fail, God has coordinated every single word of these descriptions that we're going to read to faithfully lead our eyes and lift our hearts to the beauty and power of Jesus without fail. It's going to blow your mind. So I'm going to say this at the beginning. If you desire to know Jesus, if you desire to see Jesus in your heart, you are going to see him. He will absolutely answer that desire. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Well, the the same thing is going to happen today. But if you are coming to church to be entertained, or it's coming to church to prove yourself, or coming to church for any other reason except to know Christ, you are going to have what you have in understanding taken away from you. God doesn't deal with that. He says, I'm not here we're not here for that. We're here for my son. If you want to know him, you will. It will be supernaturally revealed. But if you don't want to know him, if you don't feel that you need him, church today and church every day is going to be a huge, empty, dry, boring experience. Now, who wants that? No, we don't want that. If you do want that, please leave right now because I don't. Uh, I thought you were getting up to leave. I was like, no. Just kidding. She was just readjusting in her seat. <laughs> so today we're going to learn about the, the items and the resources that go into the construction of the tabernacle. And you might be like, why is this here? But we're going to see these items. If I were to guess, I would say that each of these is going to be important for us to look at. Each one of the things listed, and I would suppose that each of them, in some way, is going to so show something about the character of Jesus or the work that Jesus performs. Okay, so that is our introduction. Now let's look at our text, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering." So the people, God's God's giving instruction. Remember, this is happening up on top of the mountain. The people are not here yet. God is giving this instruction to Moses on top of the mountain. We're going to see later, after chapter 36, the actual act. In fact, let's read in chapter 36, verse 5 through 7. We'll read what happened when they actually did this. So here we have the command saying, Give an offering, have the people give an offering. And then chapter 36, verse 5, we have the end of it when they actually do it. He says, and they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing for the material which they... Uh, Had was sufficient for all the work to be done indeed too much indeed too much so we go back to again the, the instruction in chapter 25 what's going on here is the people are showing this willingness to do god's will who do we know was most willing to do god's will jesus so the people here serve as an example and a type of Jesus and his willingness to come and be our tabernacle. He comes and supplies everything we need for a tent of meeting, a a tabernacle with God. This offering was always supposed to be voluntary, voluntary. Jesus willingly gives his life to us. It's his joy to do this. I'm going to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. These people serve as a picture of Jesus in his love, this willing offering. It says in verse 2 of Hebrews, Look, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, it says. That means Jesus was willing, he was happy, it brought him joy to be slaughtered as the lamb. He gladly became a man to be the perfect tabernacle for men. He was voluntary. He was willing. He gladly poured out the blood needed to forgive. He gladly poured out, became the water to cleanse. He became the bread to feed. He became the light to guide. He became the glory to save. And those things I just mentioned are all the different instruments in the tabernacle. Blood, water, light, bread, glory. Those are the things we see in the tabernacle. Jesus became willingly those things. It's his passion and joy to become these things for you. In other words, he's not bothered to do this. He's not bothered by your weakness. He knows that we need these things. And he is perfectly fine supplying our needs. This is a big deal because a lot of us feel like we're being a burden on Jesus. Jesus, I, I have failed so much. I fail over and over and over again. So I bet you're pretty tired of me. Anyone ever had that thought? Man, I have lived there for times in my life. I bet you're tired of me. But Jesus, he's our ever faithful high priest and he does not get tired of loving you and supplying, covering your weakness, bringing you in where there is all sufficiency. He does not weary of it. And he, he's not challenged by your sin. Yeah, So you killed five people. It's a big deal here. You're going to have consequences for that here. But Jesus can Forgive that. We, we have a hard time believing this. We have a hard time believing it for other people. That guy's going to go to hell. Tell you what. Look at the stuff he's done. He, there's no saving him. Hitler. If Hitler would have turned and repented, there would be grace enough to cover Hitler's sin. How can you say that? He killed six million Jews. He was a jerk. He's just the lowest of low, right? We always use Hitler as the picture of the worst person ever to live. And God would say, I wish you understood the value of the blood of my son. I wish you understood the way it moves my heart as, as a father who has created his children. And I see Hitler's deception. I see, but I truly love him. And I have made provision for his failure in the blood of my son. Now, I don't think Hitler did do that, but it was available. God's sufficiency cannot be questioned. His love, his willingness, sin does not. Now, a lot of us, maybe you're fine with that. You're like, I know my sin is forgiven. What up? But dirt through the process of our day, we get dirt on our feet. We live in this world and we feel like just dirty. Well, he's got water to cleanse that. And he's for perfectly fine taking us daily and washing us, even when we don't even know what's happening. He washes us. What about our hunger and our need? He becomes our bread. He does this for us and he loves feeding you. And I'm not necessarily talking about food, although that is included. But spiritual nourishment, he is there to provide for that for us. And if you're lost, he's got light to guide, and he loves providing that. What do we do when we're lost? We're like, well, I've got to figure out my way. i got to figure, you know, I'm just on my journey. I'm just, I know, instead of just turning to Christ, and he will lead us. You know, we, we, we neglect turning to the Lord. Or if we're just shallow and we need glory, we, you know, He's got glory to to fix shallowness. You know, that life that just doesn't mean anything, doesn't feel like it has any value. The solution to that is Christ, the glory of the Holy of Holies. He loves providing depth and meaning to our lives. That's what Jesus does. So all of our sin, our dirt, our hunger and need, our lostness, our shallowness, it all gives Jesus a chance to serve you. So he's not bummed about that. I love when you guys send me an email. When you send me a question. When you call me up. I love it. I will always make time in my day. Right, Dana? Like when someone's, oh, I got an email. I'm so excited. That's how I am a lot of times. Like, oh, someone sent me an email. I got to deal with this. I make attention for it right now. Because I love serving you guys. It is never a burden. So please, write me more. Text me more. Send me emails. I'm, I'm down for that. Give me a call. And uh, I, I want to be like Christ in this. Jesus will always provide what you need. Jesus will always provide what you need. Jesus will always provide what you need. That's his character. That's his promise. So why, let me ask you this question, why do we turn to other things? Why? When we're hurting, we go to the bottle. We smoke some weed. We veg out watching TV. We go to sleep. We turn to other things. When we're lonely, different stuff. When we're discouraged, different stuff. When we're tired, other stuff. When we're burnt out, other stuff. When Christ was there the whole time for us to turn to, but we say, ah, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I, don't, I don't really believe that he would meet this need that I had. But he always says, I promise I'm going to make you a way of escape. He is the way of escape. But we so often try to find other ways first, don't we? Maybe if I do this, if I do that. Let me give you a clue. If you're saying, maybe if I do this, you're not turning to Christ. There is no I when we turn to Christ. When we turn to Christ is there's only you. So I'm going to wait upon you. I'm going to look into your word. I'm going to believe what I read. And I'm going to trust you. There is no doing anything for him to fix you. When you have a need, we wait upon him. He is the way of escape. We need to kind of repent daily for turning our back on a loving provider and redeemer. How do, we, how do we come to him? How do I actually do this? It's really simple. You admit your need to him. That's called humility. And then you call upon Jesus himself in faith. It's so simple, the Christian life, guys. To actually receive his working power, his grace, is so easy. You admit, I'm broken, I'm fleshly, I don't have it, what I need, and, and I have all these needs. I'm broken, I'm tired, I'm empty, I'm hurt. All these things, God, I come to you with them and I'm actually gonna call upon you, Jesus, and I'm gonna depend in what, you're, what you promise that you'll be. You've heard that verse, it's he's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, right? So Jesus was always willing to be what you need and now he's taking that life source of willingness to always do the father's will and he's planting it inside you that's how we become a changed person it's not by serving and it's not by trying harder and it's not by thinking i'm going to change it's by allowing his life to be planted in our hearts daily letting it grow he is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure Right? That's what Jesus, and this, them giving a, a, a willing sacrifice shows kind of the whole cycle. Jesus was willing. He's working it out in our lives. So verse 3, back in our text. And this is the offering which you shall take for them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair. Ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for sweet incense onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate so there's a list of things and we're going to go through that list and we're going to show how each and every one of these things is a beautiful wonderful aspect of our savior it is it is so clear jesus came down from heaven to be our savior and these things are how we would recognize him these things show his character so we're gonna we're gonna consider him we're gonna put jesus we're gonna lay jesus on top of this text so that we can see and understand what it really means because there's a verse hebrews 12 3 it says for consider him for consider him who endured so much hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The command is, consider him. Let Jesus be the center of our consideration. So we look at everything in the Old Testament with Jesus laid on top of it. So let's go. Ready? Number one, goals. There's 14 things here that we're going to look at. So you may want to write them down because these are going to come back time and time again. In our studies through the tabernacle, we're going to see, we're going to reference, remember gold represents divinity. We're going to see that. So gold, like I said, represents divinity. And this isn't just in the tabernacle, but this is in the entirety of the Old Testament and New Testament. These types are consistent. Gold represents divinity. And Jesus was God. He was divine. So he became a man He was perfect in strength, yet he clothed himself in total weakness, having all he became nothing for us. So just from this one word, gold, we derive all of this truth about Jesus. He was divine. He was divine. So we're going to see gold is all in this tabernacle, but it's not everything. There's a lot more attributes about Jesus that we need to learn and understand. Number two, silver. Does anyone know? Pop quiz, 50 Jesus points up for grabs. What does silver represent in the Bible? 25th anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. Good guess. Refining? No, but good guess. Silver in the Bible always represents redemption okay redemption you see two silver trumpets we're gonna see that those speak of god redeeming his people calling them out from where they were slaves or where they're at to a new place of freedom and victory okay silver always represents redemption well hey that reminds me of jesus just a little bit he was on a mission to redeem a people who could not redeem themselves, right? That's what this entire book is about. He was willing and able to pay the price and fight the battles that they could not pay or fight themselves. That's what Jesus and his redemption is and means. All right, number three, bronze or brass. Does anyone have an idea? 40 points now, it went down. What brass stands for? Speak it out loud. Judgment. judgment. That's correct. Judgment. There you go. 40 Jesus points. Arbitrarily to you. Whenever you see brass in the Bible or, you know, bronze, all of the, that always represents some form of judgment or a price being paid and, and punishment for sin. Okay? Well, Jesus just happens to have been punished for our sin, right? His body became the sacrifice. His body, our sins were placed in his body on the cross. The just for the unjust. He endured the hot fire of God's wrath for us. What, what in the tabernacle was made of brass? You guys know? The ark was not made of glass. The gr- gr- brass. It was made of gold. The the basin was made of brass and the altar where the fire, the sacrifice consumed the you know, in fire, where the, the blood was that was on brass. And it speaks of our sin being dealt with. Okay? Next we have blue. Anyone have an idea what blue means in the Bible? Even Jewish people no, nope, that's close. Jewish people today, right, uh, wear those blue tassels. Have you ever seen? You know, they have those shirts with the little blue tassels on the bottom. Same reason that they have those. Huh? Nope. Nope. Well, I don't know. I can't. Oh, Mary. You know, maybe. Yeah, yeah. She's always seen in a blue thing. Maybe. Blue represents heaven. And so whenever there was a blue cloth or something, it was to remind the people that they were a heavenly people. So that's why they wear the tassels, is so that they can think, we're better than you. But (laughs) not really. It's just that we have a heavenly parentage. We are from God. We're God's people. Okay, that's what that meant. But for Jesus, obviously, Jesus came from heaven to earth leaving literally everything up in heaven he brought heaven to earth he was heaven and now we are that heavenly people because all the blessings of christ we're we're seated in christ and we receive receive all the blessings of christ all the heavenly blessings are ours so these remember these are the the materials that are going in because you guys are going to go walking through the tabernacle every day And you're going to see these materials. You're going to see the blue, and that's going to remind you of heaven. You're going to see the brass. You're going to see the gold and the silver. And these visual things are constantly going to be, you're going to feel a need. I don't measure up. And then you're going to believe in God's sufficiency to meet that need. So these materials, just the materials, are going to do this work in our lives. Next, we have purple. Jonathan, what does purple represent? Boom, royalty. That's right. Jesus was a king. There's some Jesus points for you. Jesus is a king. He's royalty, you know, uh, from heaven again, according to the line of David on earth. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So, of course, there's going to be purple in the tabernacle because he's a king. Number six, we have scarlet thread. What do you think scarlet represents? Blood. Blood. Scarlet represents blood. And this, of course, would be the price that Jesus would pay to set us free from all sin and death and provide everything we could ever need in the new covenant, in his blood. Do you guys remember what Luke 22.20 says? If you've done the discipleship course with me, or if you've done it on your own, you will remember Luke 22.20. Jesus is at the Last Supper, and he says he took the cup after supper, saying this is the cup of the new covenant In my blood, which is shed for you. And we're going to see Scarlet in the Old Testament speaking of his blood. What is is the big deal about his blood? Oh my goodness, the price of the Son of God's blood is immeasurable. So you have a need? He has a sufficiency. And that was bought with his blood. He has an answer. He has a supply for us. And it's no mean thing. It's no small thing that it was paid for by the blood. The price paid for it shows the value of it. Oh, well, you don't know what my life and how my sin is. I have been such a wicked, evil person. I still, even I'm a believer, I still struggle with the thoughts and these actions and you don't know what I deal with. No, I don't care what you deal with. Because what I know is that the blood of Christ is worth what you need? It will provide an entrance to you into the presence of God, and God's presence will cleanse you. That's what I know. You don't believe it. You think your sin is too big, you think your sin is so great, but God's like, hello, my son's blood is better than whatever you think is not all right so blood obviously we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about blood it's fun all right the next number seven is fine linen this is perfectly white linen so cotton right and uh this obviously will represent the perfect life of jesus purity and sinlessness he always did everything right isn't it funny that the blood is mentioned right before the perfect linen and in the book of Revelation, we see, he says, their robes were washed white in the blood of the lamb. Totally doesn't make sense. Blood makes, stains things red. So why would it make it white? Well, because of this. His blood produces purity in our lives. Jesus, everything he ever did was pure, and he produces it in our lives. Okay, number eight, goat's hair, all right? 80 Jesus points if you know what this means. Anyone have any ideas? (laughs) I'm hoping if I up the ante, someone will try harder. Goat's hair. Nope. Goat's hair. Goats are what were sacrificed, and they were black. These goat hair, these goat skins were black. And so this speaks of the sacrifice of of a sinful being, okay? Jesus became the blackness of sin for us. It literally says in the New Testament, he became sin for us. When God the Father looked upon Jesus on the cross, he saw his beloved son, but he saw all the sin of the world causing him to look black. And so God turned his face away from him rejected him and poured his wrath out upon him because that's what had to happen so that he would never see you as a black goat. Never. Yeah, but I am a black goat. No, you're not. Christ has made you pure. Christ became the black goat for you. Isn't that cool? All right, next. Ram skins dyed red. This one I had, to, I had to pray about and think about. So as I thought about this, I thought, well, a male sheep is a ram, okay? Well, that's pretty easy. Jesus was the Lamb of God, right? He's a male. He was a sheep. And, and the, this, you know, the ram skins were skins where the wool of the sheep was removed or plucked out. And I was like, hmm. I think I remember something about Jesus having his beard plucked out, his wool. <laughs> I like that. It's kind of wooly, right? Anyway, um, and then painted red, his skin. Hair plucked out and then painted red. Whoa, Jesus, is, this is just another image of jesus when that when we go to heaven and in the book of revelation it says we're going to look on the throne and what we're going to see is a lamb as though it had been slain that's not going to be a pretty thing it's going to be jesus with the wounds and we're going to see the suffering that he went through pretty cool all right next one badger skins now this you can just cross out in your bible because badger skins is a terrible translation Okay, so I did a lot of, I, so in Hebrew, this is the word takesh or tekesh, or just sneeze and they'll sound the same. And, and so as you start to study this, and I spent a lot of time this week looking at this, you'll start to see that, that no one has any clue what this means. But they've started, they've, a lot of people have put hundreds and thousands of hours into studying it. So they've looked at all other languages. Where did this word come from? Textual analysis and all kinds of stuff. And so people have come up with badger, they thought was a, an idea. The uh, dugong. Anyone know what that is? Yeah. Ten Sean points if you do. It's a, it's a manatee, right? It's, except it's got a different head, but it's in the manatee family. There's only four yeah, sea cows, right? So they think it was that or maybe a dolphin or a sheep or some now extinct animal or even a unicorn so that tells me y'all have no clue what you're talking about you li- they literally have no idea like they're just like maybe unicorns you know it's just anyway but as you as you start to to really dig in you find out that Later in the Bible, he, God says that he makes shoes of Takesh for his bride, Israel. And it's a, it's a, uh, it's a phrase that spoke of fanciness. Fanciness. So they found this leather in Israel and, and in antiquity in those days that had a beaded work on it. And then so they would have leather and then they would put a beaded work, you know, like, uh, like the Indian beady type stuff you know what i'm talking about what's that called Beadwork. beaded stuff right you go to estes park it's all over the place right and and so this is this beaded leather and it was something used to both protect so they would put it on their shoes because it was harder than just leather and to beautify something something to decorate with and uh, uh, it was apparently very fancy it was, it was a fancy thing and took time and work. And that seems to be the most uh, accurate description of what this actually is, as this beaded leather that was used to protect and to beautify. And so after all that research, I was like, okay, so what does this mean about Jesus? And I was like, oh, well, he makes my life beautiful. He beautifies his people, and he protects them, right? So both attributes of Christ, I thought, that is a lot better than a unicorn, or a dolphin. How are you going to find a dolphin wandering around in the desert? That's, anyway. I'm like, do people even think about this study that they do? Anyway. All right, so that's badger skins, which you can just write to Kesh. All right, number 11 is acacia wood. These uh, were wood and trees. Wood and trees in the Bible almost always will remind us of the cross. Okay. Now, acacia was a very hard wood. If it was used, it doesn't just rot away, but it would stay and endure through many generations, many hundreds of years. And for me, I looked at this and I was like, hey, when my sins are nailed to the cross, the wood doesn't rot and they don't fall off for someone to find. When my sins are nailed to the cross, they stay there. So you got the acacia wood. Number 12, oil for light. Oil represents what? Holy Spirit. Good job, Chris. The Holy Spirit. And so uh, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. He had the that means the light, like the Holy Spirit provided light for him. Same thing happens in our life. You know, Jesus becomes our light through the Holy Spirit, illuminating our path. Alright, number thirteen, spices. Jesus, of course, was a, a pleasing fragrance to his father. Everything he did God breathed in, and he was like, Yeah, smells so good. Like when someone's cooking bratwurst, right? And you're just like, Praise the Lord. I'm a Gentile. I can partake in this beautiful, or bacon. When that's cooking up, you're just, life is good, right? That's what Jesus does for God. And he wants his temple, his tabernacle here, to smell good. That's why they had spices. So we're supposed to be a, you know, Jesus makes us a pleasing aroma. There's a lot we could get into with that. We're really just establishing what these types are in these shadows today. We're going to study them more in depth later. Fourteen, the last one, precious onyx stones for the priests, and the priests would wear them on their ephods, right? Well, who's our priest? Hey, good answer. Fifty Jesus points for all of you. He is our priest, in his heart, the reason why they would put the linen ephod on their heart and decorate it with these jewels is so the priest would walk around. Imagine a shirt that had rocks attached to it. What would that feel like? Heavy, right? So what it meant is that the priest would feel the weight of the people on his heart. He would have the people on his heart. Wherever he went, he felt, I have a, a job to do. I'm representing God to the people and the people to God. And here, Jesus does the exact same thing for us. He always has you on his heart to the point where he's counting the number of hairs on your head. He is deeply concerned about everything in your life, he wants to meet every need. And this just shows that he is the priest of his people. All right? And that he values you. That's why these are precious stones. Because you are to him his most precious possession. His most precious relationship is you. These are pretty encouraging things now that we dive into it, right? It's not just a list of construction supplies. This is our Jesus and his love and his heart given to us. I just love it. All right, look at verse eight. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now in our study, We've seen from Genesis to Exodus, God has never lived on earth before. But now he wants to. He walked with Adam. He spoke with various people, the patriarchs and stuff. He appeared quite a few times. But this is very different. He wants to dwell among them. Do you see that? He would prefer to live among these stinky people than up in heaven. That's his preference. And I find that amazing. The purpose of God's heart is to be the daily center of the lives of his people. Where Do you guys know where the tabernacle is going to be located in the, the, the group? Right in the middle. Right in the middle. God wants to live and dwell among his people that's what relationship with God is supposed to look like. Continual, every day I wake up and I see him right there. Faithful, daily, is supposed to be what our relationship with God looks like. And God wants to make a new people that love him and serve him and represent him to the world. And, and what does he do to accomplish that? Here's a list of ten things to do. Do it. See ya. Peace. No. He shows them the standard. He says, you guys all suck at doing this. But I am going to dwell among you and I'm going to supply all you need for this to be a reality. The Ten Commandments. It's a relationship with God. It's a daily communion with Him that is going to ever produce all that God wants to see and have you know, accomplished in our life. His plan and strategy for accomplishing this goal is to get in there and get his hands dirty and be among his people, relationship-wise. That's it. He doesn't just want to be a part of their life, but the center and the source of everything. Isn't that cool? So the tabernacle now becomes proof that God has fully redeemed his people, and and by grace, he's brought them near to himself because he's pleased for some reason doing this, and he's for some reason chosen them and loved them, what have these people done? Nothing. Nothing. And yet God is doing all this stuff to draw them near to himself. And of course that reminds us of Ephesians 2 verse 13, which says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who who were far off have been brought near by his blood. Okay, This whole tabernacle is a picture of Jesus. It's just so amazing. You were bought by Jesus, you were sought by the Holy Spirit, and you were brought near to the Father. You have the whole Trinity working in just this tabernacle thing. And this is the kind of acceptance that everyone in the world is looking for but we turn to so many things instead of our loving Father for this type of acceptance. He literally is offering full acceptance and, and loving who you are, and, and we turn to all these, well, these people, I know their agenda may be weird or whatever, but I'm going to, I really feel accepted by them. They're, it is going to kill you. I don't care how much they, you think they love you. I don't care it will end in your being disappointed, broken, and hurt. Okay, But God, it never ends that way. If only we would turn to our loving Father instead of these other things, other relationships, we would experience rest, peace, value, and the glory of God. Because He's always wanted us to know those things. He's promised those things to us. Why do we not have them? Because we're not turning to him in that humble, dependent attitude. God, I need acceptance. God's like, boom, done. I accept you. I love you. Look at verse 9. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. We're going to see that in the Bible, seven times that Moses made this tabernacle exactly how God showed him to. The Bible is very specific. I made this up. It's really super important. And Moses made it exactly how I said. So seven times. This tabernacle is a big deal to God. He has ensured that every human on earth could, have a, could investigate what a real relationship with God looks like by giving this tabernacle and these descriptions. It's for you. It's for everybody who wants to know what God's idea of relationship looks like. You know, instead of, I have come up with a way for you to know God. You know, come and drink this Kool-Aid, and you will see. No, God's given away. My son. And you want to know my son more? Look at the tabernacle. It's awesome. All right. Sometime in eternity past, just imagine billions and trillions of years ago, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son had a conversation and your name came up and they looked forward through time and they could see you and they considered your life. They considered your heart and they determined that you were to be, to be the object of God's love. All of God's passionate love would be directed towards you. Every single one of you. God's love for man is truly spectacular. Even in our rebellious state, when our hearts were indifferent or even hated God, He still desires to dwell with us. He is not intimidated by your tantrums, He is not offended by all the things in your life. He doesn't care. He still provides all that we need for relationship with him. He still provides. He still invites each person into this tabernacle. He says, come and see the goodness of God. Come and investigate it. Come and learn it. When we walk in relationship with Christ, what we're doing is walking through the tabernacle like they did in the old days. There's times we enter you know, we enter his gates. And that, that psalm, you enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. You enter his courts with praise. Just think that. I Enter in. And the first thing about my relationship with God is I am thanking him. Thank you, Lord. And then the first thing right in front of me is what? The altar where the blood was spilt. And so I'm, that's, that's the first thing I think about when I come and want to connect with God, the sacrifice of Jesus. I clothe myself in that blood. I believe it for me. Then you wash your hands in the laver. Then you enter into the real ministry in the in the tabernacle. And you see on your left, you see the, the menorah giving light. Lord, I want you to light my path. I don't want to go by what I see. I want you to show me. You turn to your right, and you got blood. Lord, or bread. Lord, feed me. Feed me. Feed my soul. I have need. I'm hungry. And Jesus, I need you to meet that need. You go right in front of you and you see the incense, Lord, make me smell different because I'm pretty selfish. I'm pretty me smelling and I need to be transformed. Jesus, you are my incense. Then you go into the Holy of Holies because you've been cleansed by that blood and you see their glory and you see the Ark of the... You see all that Jesus really is doing in your heart. This is how we have a relationship with god this tabernacle every piece and part everything you see as you're going through it is perfectly designed to remind you of your life your savior your messiah jesus that it is this is not about me this is about you jesus and i'm asking you are you guys dwelling in that tabernacle are you guys going into that tabernacle every day He's already done everything to dwell with us. Nothing stands in the way. The tabernacle exists today as a reality and it's Jesus Christ. And you guys can enter in and I charge you today to abide in Christ. Stay in the tabernacle. He is the source of all blessing, joy, and peace. And I desire nothing more than for you to be able to experience his life today and every day. And it's available to all of us. But we can't turn to other things. It's only in the tabernacle. It's only in Christ. It is truly offered. It's truly available. It's freely given. All we do is confess our need. God, I'm broken. God, I'm angry. God, I'm hurt. We confess that need to the Lord. And we turn to him. and call upon Jesus to deliver you. That's what it, that's what it is. That's what it is for all of us. He'll meet all of your needs with his amazing grace. Okay? And we're going to read Ephesians chapter two verse nineteen just to close out what we're talking about today. We're done. But Ephesians two, nineteen through twenty two. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household or family of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of a God in the Spirit. Everything we learn today about all the ingredients, all the materials for the tabernacle, he here spiritualizes it and says it's all this big building that's growing and God uses all of these attributes of Christ to cause you to grow into being a tabernacle yourself. You are now God's tabernacle. As we focus on Christ, as we live through Christ, he is everything that our our unity with Jesus is so complete and so amazing. Ben was reading a book this week and texted me a quote, and I'm going to totally steal it. I guess I gave you a little credit. I'm not actually stealing the quote, but it's going into this. We share perfectly in his death and on the cross. We share in that. That becomes our death. But we also share perfectly in his rule on his throne. That becomes our source. That becomes our life. We have access to any and every resource we need. A king can give all that he has, and he has. He offers it to us. We share perfectly in his will and his desire for his kingdom to come. That's inside you if you believe. You're like, I want Jesus to fix everything. It's being built inside us by the indwelling Spirit of God We share in him. We live in him. He dwells in us and we dwell in him. And that is called unity. There is no no other definition of unity that really matters. It's you in Christ and Christ in you. And so his life becomes everything and our life is nailed to the cross. You guys believe that? Then we're going to take communion. We're going to sing a song. And uh, that is how we're going to respond. And we're going to surrender each moment of our life to him. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the uh, attention to detail that you give us, Lord, that you are, are uh, it seems to be that you are overjoyed to be able to show every single aspect of your son to us. That, you would, that, that there is no greater thrill in all of the heavens and all the earth than the thrill you experience by highlighting characteristics of your son. And I pray that my heart would be as in love with your son, Father, as you are. I thank you, God, for the, uh, the word and the way that the Holy Spirit is moving among us and teaching us to cast aside our own understanding and instead trust in you. So Jesus, we surrender our life to you completely because you are good and you love us. And we, uh, we want to turn to nothing else but you. So please pour life into us. Please give us grace. Help us, Lord, to be quick to repent of anything that is turning away from you. And instead, Lord, help us to respond by turning to you. In Jesus' name, we pray and we rejoice in all this grace. Amen.